Vigorous. That was vigorous. <laughs> it's a little different every time. But we, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, good day, everybody. Turn your Bibles to John 14. Because Roger already told all you guys here. I don't. I don't hear any pages turning, so it must he must have must have ratted me out. <clears throat> Let's begin with prayer. Let's thank God for our opportunity and time together to study His Word and hear from our Lord and our Savior, or from our Father through His Word. To be so grateful for the truth and the reality of this amazing life that He has given us through Jesus Christ. And so, with that in mind, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for another day in your world. Thank you for you. Thank you for the understanding of you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can glorify you, that we can walk with you and see you. Thank you that you have entered us into your life and given us your life by grace, through faith and the wonderful work that your Son has done in our behalf. We thank you for the Holy Spirit within who has such an incredible job of guiding and directing us in the knowledge of you and that we may, in seeing you in your glory, be transformed. And so, Father, we ask that through your Spirit that the truth of what you have revealed would become clear to each of us. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. On the night again, uh, John 14... Uh, we are in the night before Jesus died. In John 13 through 17, we have uh, information that none of the other Gospels give us, which is this, uh, it's usually called the Upper Room Discourse. It is the teaching of Christ uh, that is not revealed in the Synoptic Gospels, but is revealed here. Uh, And one of the highlights or themes, there's several themes to what Jesus teaches them. One of them is love, another one is prayer, uh, another one is him, uh, but also the Holy Spirit. And here uh, is revealed what is not revealed in the other Gospels. And in fact, uh, in the epistles is not clearly revealed either. And, and that doesn't mean that it's not of any lesser importance. And in fact, it shows us, and, and I think clearly so, that it is of great importance, and in fact, the greatest importance of our understanding of what it is that the Holy Spirit is doing for us and through us. Uh, and we'll, we'll show this along the way. Uh, 
Jesus promised that he would send another helper. The Greek word is parakletos. It has really no equivalent in English. Uh, Parakletos is a helper, a comforter, uh, a lawyer in in ways, uh, someone who uh, stands by you to help you, which is kind of like a lawyer. Uh, And it it has multiple words to describe this one Greek word. Uh, In your New American Standard, they use helper here in this one. Uh, It could be advocate, which it's translated in 1 John 2 as advocate. And Jesus says he's going to send us another helper, and he makes clear that he's the first helper, so to speak, and that this second helper is going to replace him and reveal him. So the second helper is to reveal the first helper to us. So look at John 14:16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Please notice that word forever. The Holy Spirit will be with us forever. That is, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, and the unbeliever cannot receive, because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Uh, And this incredible, you know, with the... With what we understand in the epistles, we look back at this and say, well, yeah, this is the sound doctrine that's developed in, in the epistles, which is that the Holy Spirit would be in us, which is a promise of the new covenant, um, and that we're indwelt by the Spirit. And this is pointed out in several passages. And yet here it is a revelation to the disciples of which they wouldn't really truly understand. Now, at this point, later on they would, and really at Pentecost they would, when the Spirit finally indwelt them, which was 50 days after the Lord's resurrection. So, okay, so uh, the Lord's the first helper. The second helper is the Holy Spirit, uh, and he's going to be with you forever and in you. And that is true for all believers. He then sent one of his, you know, he, say, he says something amazing after this, but he says a lot of things that are amazing, and this is one of them. And it concerns the fact that the, the reason or this decree by God that the first helper would leave us and the other helper, the second helper, God the Holy Spirit, would come to us, would to be for our advantage. Like it would be, in other words, would you rather be indwelt by the Holy Spirit that you can't see, feel, or touch, Uh, Or would you rather have the Lord Jesus Christ with you on earth all the time that you can see, feel, and touch and hear? And it turns out it's to our advantage that we have the first. That Jesus is not amongst us in bodily. The Lord Christ indwells every believer like the Spirit does. So skip forward to John 16, 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so it's important for us to understand why is this to our advantage. And this is what we started with yesterday. Look at John 16:14. He, meaning this... Second helper, God the Holy Spirit, shall glorify me. And how is he going to glorify him? For he will take of mine and disclose it to you. And this is pretty incredible that he's going to glorify the Lord by doing what? Uh, Running around all throughout the earth, singing praises to the Lord Jesus Christ? No. Uh, Doing miracles that are attributed to the Lord Jesus Christ? No. Uh, what he's, the way that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be glorified on earth in our age is that the Holy Spirit is going to disclose him to us. And therefore, by means of us seeing the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, what does disclose mean? I'm glad you asked. Uh, it's the Greek word anangelo, and anangelo uh, is... 
It actually means to declare, to proclaim, to announce. Disclose uh, is not a word for finding something. This word disclose in the Greek means to be uh, heralded to. It literally means that someone from some faraway land brings back news or good tidings to, or bad tidings, uh, to uh, say a king or, or someone, a leader. You know, a messenger comes. And it's kind of, you know, it's like that, uh, that passage in Isaiah that talks about how, how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings the gospel. Uh, the messenger that comes upon the hills, he's bringing good news. And this messenger, the one who is declaring and proclaiming, announcing, and therefore disclosing to us is God the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is saying something to us. That's what this word means. It means that he's speaking something to us. And I think it's important to look at it that way. That it's, and we know this, but I think our minds kind of tend to, uh, um, you know, tend to go towards, you know, in some supernatural way, he's going to, like, I don't know, anoint my brain with knowledge or infiltrate my, my soul with understanding. That it's kind of like a magic wand sort of thing. But we know, you know, that what we understand of Jesus Christ can only come from one source. And it's not some supernatural feeling I get from meditation. Uh, it's not some transcendental experience. You know, it's not some, uh, you know, some meditation thing that is kind of like Hinduism or Eastern religion. It comes from the Word of God. The only revelation of Christ, the only revelation of God is in the Scripture. And so, as we'll see, that's what the Spirit is going to proclaim to us, is going to come from the Scripture. And that doesn't mean in a particular translation or, you know, in a particular series of exact words. It's the truth, the idea that is the truth concerning the Son of God and everything about Him. So, he says here to make sure that we understand that He and the Father are co-equal and co-eternal, in verse 15, all things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. So, all the things that the Father has are mine, that he's going to take of mine, which are, here is a, a plural, uh, neuter pronoun is translated things, and it's used a lot in reference to God's blessings upon us. Notice it's not given as like a list of specifics. It's just things. So what are these things? And that's exactly what I think that God wants us to ask. Things meaning what? What things? And then God says, we'll come and see. So these tidings, these things, that wonderfully refer to the Son and the Father, are things that we can know about them. Now, it doesn't mean I can know everything. Right? We have to deal with that. I can know what's revealed to me. So I say, oh, well, I can know all the Scripture. Good luck. You're not going to know it all. Nobody knows it all. Those who have been studying it for, I don't know, what's the longest anyone's ever studied the Word of God for? I don't know. I mean, maybe 80. I mean, you have to be a certain age to start. You have to be a certain age to comprehend. Let's say, you know, the greatest of theologians out there who have, in the past or present, who have been studying their entire adult lives. <clears throat> I mean, unless they're incredibly prideful, none of them are going to tell you that they know it all. They know a lot. And we'll get to that. But we're not told that we're going to know everything about everything. We're going to know what's revealed. And we have to know enough of revelation to be able to relate to the Son and the Father. We have to know enough. You know, you think of like any personal human relationship where you're close to someone, someone that you're closest to. Even in them, you don't know everything about them. And you don't want to. 
because <laughs> they've got dark, sinful stuff that you don't want to know about. But, uh, but still, you need a certain amount of knowledge about that person to have a close relationship with them. And the same is true of God. You have to have enough. And if you love knowing about him, you will never say it is enough. So, as we'll see, it's really okay to say, I don't know. It's really okay to not know something about God. What's not okay is not to want to know something about God. That's not okay. If you say, well, what I know is enough, that's okay, then you've got an issue. You don't have love for your Lord. And you don't understand Him. Because anybody who understands Him would want more and more and more. <clears throat> so the advantage here, it, he says to them, it's to your advantage I go away. The advantage to us is that through the declaration of God the Holy Spirit within us, we can see and understand the Son of God and through Him the Father, which is more understanding and vision than we could have if Jesus had remained here on earth and we spent time with Him. We know more about Him with the Spirit within us than we do about Him being physically, bodily here in our presence. So, it's to our advantage that the Lord physically sits light years away at the right hand of God while the Holy Spirit indwells us for the very purpose of revealing the Son of God. Through what? Proclamation. Through anangelo. Right? I'm going to proclaim to you the Son. So what does that tell us? How am I, you know, why, how am I going to hear it? Do I need, uh, you know, do I need some procedure? Do I need, uh, you know, how do I hear the voice of the Spirit? You know, you think about all like, pay, uh, mythologies and, and pagan religions where people could talk to God or hear God through what, going through some ritual or going through, you know, offering some sacrifice, and then God would, whatever, whoever the God was with a small g would come and visit them and speak to them, or they would have a dream or something like that. But what about us? Uh, you know, are we going to have a dream? Is it going to be something when I'm deep in prayer and then all of a sudden I hear him? And I have to be very careful because that could be my own conscience. Right, that little voice inside. You know, how is it going to happen? Well, the first is to understand that it is a proclamation, it's a declaration, it's an announcement, and therefore I have to be listening. And what do I have to be listening to is of extreme importance. But I must never forget that the main theme of the Spirit's ministry to the church is to reveal the Son. Within this theme, the Spirit, as we're going to see, does a lot of different things to make up for our weakness. Right? Where am I going to get wisdom when I'm kind of a dummy? I'm not kind of a dummy. We all are dummies. When it comes to God, I mean, come on. Where am I going to get the strength to do what He tells me to do? How am I going to interpret the Scripture when there's so many interpretations out there? How am I going to know the truth? How am I going to even pray to an almighty God who's perfect and holy and I can't even hardly find the words? Like, how is this all going to happen? And we read in the scripture over and over that the Holy Spirit's going to do that. The Holy Spirit's going to do that. The Holy Spirit's going to do that. But here's the thing. When we hyper-focus on all that the Spirit's going to do for me, I'm weak, I'm dumb, I'm blind. The Spirit's ministry is not human-centric. You see it here? The, hum the Spirit's ministry is like all things here. Right? So in Hebrews 12, it says, fix your eyes on, yeah, not you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. We're to be occupied with Him. The Spirit's whole ministry 
is to reveal the Son to you. And when you see the Son, you see the Father. When you see the Son and the Father, you're communicating with them. You're living with them. You're feeling with them. Don't think emotion is not a part of this. You're experiencing life with them. Jesus said it perfectly. If you love me and keep my word, I and my Father will build our house with you. That is life with them. Uh, Go to Matthew 13. Again, the ministry of the Spirit is not centered on you. And it's so easy for us to get centered on ourselves. And then I think, you know, and then, well, the Spirit really becomes my slave, doesn't he? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him when I need to be strong. I'm going to tell him when I need to be smart. I'm going to tell him when I need to see this or that. You know, he's kind of under my command. Which, that isn't completely wrong. Because this does depend upon us, does it not? I mean, not every Christian knows the Lord Jesus Christ as they should. And so it has to have something to do with us. And it does. Uh, but the things that it has to do with us are, are really very basic, as God would only give to us the very basics, which is faith and obedience. Uh, but, you know, what is revealed to me and when, that is in the Spirit's hands. Uh, and, and this also shows me and reveals to me, and it will always keep my mind because perspective is everything here. If I'm say if the Holy Spirit's telling me something and I'm listening to something else, I'm not going to learn it. Right? So I'm I'm this is more hypothetical, I'm, you know, to give you a, an image. As a high school teacher for 11 years, if I'm telling kids about how to balance equations or put ionic compounds together and they're not listening, they don't get it. In 11 years, they never got it, except for a few. Uh, but, if you know, I, and I could be, you know, as a teacher, a teacher could be right in your face, barking at you, you know, hitting you if need be. And if you're not listening, you're not going to learn. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us about the Lord through His Word, if we're not listening, we're not watching, if our eyes are blind and our ears are deaf, then we're not going to learn. No matter how loud he screams at us. And he does. Because if we're not listening for long enough, he's going to bring pain. And that's when God screams at us. So look at Matthew thirteen sixteen. Uh, the Lord started to speak to the crowds, mainly to the religious leaders, Uh, After Matthew 12, he starts to speak in parables. And and the disciples asked him, why are you speaking in parables? They were confused about this. Why all of a sudden you were speaking plainly before, and now you're speaking in parables? And he says to them in verse 16, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now the contrast here is tremendous. The religious leaders, he's going to go on to say that they're blind and deaf, just like it was foretold by Isaiah the prophet that when the Messiah came amongst his own, they wouldn't listen to him. And by eyes, meaning they wouldn't have faith in him. But in contrast to these, you know, the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and other people too uh, that are there who don't believe in him, in chapter 12 in Matthew, they've said, you do the miracles you do by the power of the devil. So they have completely rejected him. And yet, the prophets of old, if they were here at that time, say Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, if they were here, They would have been bursting with joy because they knew the Messiah was coming and they knew they'd never see him. Not until heaven anyway. And as he says here, they 
they would have rejoiced to see what you see. And they longed for it. They desired it. Now, think about a parable. He's going to tell in this chapter the seven parables. I think there's exactly seven. And, uh, you know, they're a parable of the sower, the wheat and the tares, the pearl, the treasure, uh, the mustard seed, the leaven and the loaf, and so on. And <clears throat> is it difficult to figure out these parables? No. They're easy, in fact. But if you start hearing, all right, so the seed was sown beside the road and then it didn't grow because the birds came and ate it. And, you know, say you don't want to know. Say you don't believe in the one who's telling the parable and you start saying to yourself, why are you talking about birds and seeds and, and soil? Right? I, give me something juicy, right? Give me something that is intellectually stimulating. But he really speaks to them as children in a story that's easy to figure out. However, you have to desire to figure it out. And the disciples do this. The disciples, like the rest of the crowd, they don't understand all the parables. But they go to the Lord and they ask him. They say, could you interpret it for us? And he does. So what God lays down before us is a very short wall <laughs> that you can jump over, you can walk over it if you just desire to know. So the Holy Spirit is teaching us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise is that when you see Him, you'll see the Father. And the further promise is that you'll enter into their life and that you will behold that which is magnificent and adore it and worship it, you've got to listen. And if you don't listen, you're not going to see any of it. And it's very easy to listen. I say, well, I don't have time to listen. Well, you have time to do a bunch of other stuff. I don't see why you don't have time. Everybody gets the same amount of time per day. I tell you, but a number of things happen here. Uh, one of the things that happens is that Christians, um, if they are Christians, I, I think some come into the church uh, because they've messed up their lives so much that the church offers, and I, I would, I'm not saying here because nobody comes here. <laughs> nobody wanders in. You know what I mean? That could be because we don't have any signage and we're in a basement. I don't know. But, uh, you know, or people could wander into a church because they want to clean up their lives and they start feeling better. Right? You get clean, you feel better after you've made all a rash of bad decisions. And then maybe they hear the promise that, you know, in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything's going to be great. But you find out pretty quick that everything's not great, that there are problems. And with, if, you, if you're a believer, there are even more problems. Because now you have the kingdom of darkness, you have the fight with the flesh. You have, but you're, if you're a new creature in Christ, you're designed for holiness and righteousness. And you're designed for the truth. And now you have this war between the flesh and the spirit. I mean, there's, there's issues. There's suffering. And, and so they don't get what they want. And they leave. I think many of these people are believers, but who knows? It's not for me to know. I'm so tired of reading. I just I have to read another book for theology where you know, most of it is fantastic, but there's always a chapter in these uh, more Reformed theology, Calvinistic kind of theologians where they're trying to figure out who's saved and who's not. And it just drives me nuts. <laughs> you know... And then they go right back to it's faith, it's faith alone, but then they, they do a little lordship stuff. You know, if you don't have enough works, you're not good enough. You know, we all doubt you're saved. Who's we all? You know, like as if we're your judge. Um, I, don't understand. I, don't, I don't get it. I'm just glad I wasn't brought up in those traditions. I get to look at the Bible for myself, and then I, and then I hear in my theology class, I'm like, oh, really? They believe that? I didn't know that. 
you know, and I might have, you know, I concluded maybe a part of that from the scripture, but I, I can see why. You know, all you need is the scripture and the Holy Spirit. And a pastor teacher. In the past, I'm not going to go into this now. That's coming up later. I could totally go off on a tangent on that. Uh, so this revelation, here's what we want to focus on today, is the Holy Spirit is giving you a revelation of Christ. And therefore, this life is not about you. If Jesus said, look, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you and he's going to reveal everything that's wrong with you and how to fix everything about you and make you great and you're going to be awesome and you, 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 you. But we don't see that. We see that he's going to come and reveal me. And it turns out that when we're absorbed with him, and he's truly the life of God, as a man, as a human being, then everything with us is just fine. And in fact, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but even our failures are fine. Because all of us fail and we've got to deal with this. But when my eyes are on Him, my failure doesn't run into long periods of failure. They become more isolated. And I recover more quickly. And I, you know, my, my eyes are fixed on Him. And the only reason my eyes can be fixed on Him is, is I have to see Him. I'm looking at some distant spot in the back wall. But, you know, my eyes fixed upon Him. How do I see Him? That is the role of God the Holy Spirit. So when the Spirit empowers me, makes me wise, leads me so I make good decisions, uh, intercedes and helps my prayer assists me or really gives me the power and wisdom to be pure in conduct. All of these things I could hyper-isolate and say, they're for me. Right? If you had an ugly lifestyle and it became a little more, even a little more pure, you'd be a happier person. An unbeliever who's moral is happier than an unbeliever who's immoral. But in a Christian life, if we start focusing on the fact that strength and wisdom and all of these things are for me, then we find ourselves going astray. We get self-absorbed, and that's where a lot of religions come from. And they're very dangerous religions because they have Scripture and the Lord Jesus in them. But when they're Christian-centered religions, you know, how about happy? I just want to be happy. You know, I, I've fallen into this because uh, Pastor Joe loves to be happy. He doesn't like misery. So I, I know I have sought out the Lord to make me happy and like all the time. I can't pull it off. Even even Maggie calls me cranky. She's five years old. She's figured it out. Uh, <laughs> When I get in that mood, I am cranky. And, you know, okay, so be it. But then I think to myself, especially after this study, is that what I'm really after? Is just Joe to be happy? What kind of religion is that? Well, it's Joeism. Right? Isn't it? It's, it's about me. So the fringe benefit of the Spirit is joy. Right, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit's work in all of that fruit. You know, so think of it. Love, Jesus said, love one another as I love you. Peace, he said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Hope, he said, uh, so what that? love, peace, joy. He said, joy, I give you my joy. But he said, love me and keep my word and my joy, my joy will be in you. All of those, kindness and patience and goodness and self-control and gentleness, those are all Him. The fruit of the Spirit are all manifestations of the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why they become our fruit when we see Him. 
And we can get so occupied with just us being at peace, us being at joy, which is the truth, but it's not the end goal. Yeah, if the end goal of God was to make us all peace, he could just, you know, I don't know, do a miracle and fill our minds with serotonin, serotonin or whatever the stuff is that make people kind of dopey, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and chemically happy. But he didn't do that. He came into the world. This is prophesied from the beginning. The seed of the woman would break the serpent and destroy him in Genesis 3.15. And that we would have life in him. Not in us alone. In him. So, the revelation of Christ As he says here, I'm leaving you, and if I don't leave, the helper doesn't come, and then, you know, it's to your advantage that I do that. So his, the revelation of Christ is not spatial. What I mean by that, he's not here that I can touch him and see him and hear him, but it's relational, meaning I can know him and know him well. The Lord Jesus does what to me when I see him? Meaning his things, quote unquote things which are his mind, the way he thinks, what he loves, what he hopes in, what he desires, everything. He enlightens me. Seeing him enlightens me. Right, opens up my mind to things that I could have never imagined. The reality of the life of God in Jesus Christ. How does, it enlightens me to no end. To the possibilities of what humankind can be. He animates me. I want to be like him. I want to know him. And not to be like him for my own sake. I think there's a lot of people who want to be like him so that the rest of the people in their lives can say, wow, you're awesome. It's really about them. But, I know, he animates me to follow him, to be like him, to pick up my cross and follow him. As Paul said in Philippians 3, to know him and to know his power and to uh, know his suffering and to be conformed to his death. He animates me. He transforms me along with others in the body of Christ. And he stirs our sluggishness. Right? We find energy to do. We say, well, that's from the Spirit. It is. But the, the Spirit animates me and gives me energy so that I can see him. So, you know, and we can get into semantics there. But you know, seeing the Lord Jesus Christ and what he is, who he is, what he has, what he does and has done. I mean, it's all things that are him. So it's him as son of God before he becomes a man. The first advent, Jesus Christ incarnate. His death, burial and resurrection. His ascension, what he's doing now at the right hand of God as revealed to us in the Scripture about the future, what he's going to be in the future as a man, you know, all of that stirs me. And then life becomes not so mundane. And in fact, I would, I would say that all the mundaneness of life is gone. Because in anything you're doing, and anywhere you are, you can behold more because the spirit's in you. I don't have to like go to the spirit to get instruction in some classroom or some temple that he's in me and in everything showing me the Lord Jesus Christ. So by seeing the Lord all of us, he stirs our sluggishness, he sharpens our insight, he soothes our guilty conscience. He sweetens our tempers. You know, to see him Do you see yourself wanting to be angry? Do you see yourself wanting to be bitter? Do you see yourself wanting to be worried about stuff? After you've seen him? You you don't want any of that. He supports us under pressure. He strengthens us for righteousness. His work in us by beholding him is so glorious that he merits all our worship. We adore him for it. 
I mean, we're changing and have changed. And it's all due to Him. And therefore, He merits all our worship, our adoration, our love, and our loyalty, all that we're capable of. And so the Spirit is therefore doing whatever is necessary to create that image, right? So it it is an image because He's not tangibly here. I love the fact that there's no relevant picture of Him anywhere. I mean, painting. You'd think somebody would paint Him. But no one cared to do it. So the Spirit is creating, sustaining, deepening, and expressing this awareness of Him. We're all to be conformed to the image of Christ, therefore we have to see that image. And it's not an idol, as sometimes images are proclaimed to be in the Scripture. This is the man, Jesus Christ. The themes of how the Holy Spirit do this is what we often focus on. They're spelled out clearly in the Scripture, which are interpreting Scripture. You cannot learn the Scripture without the Spirit. Illuminating our hearts to the Scripture's truth and reality. The Spirit assures us of the Scripture's validity. The fact that you have confidence in the Scripture is not a function of your own brain. It's not. You could say it's a function of your faith, absolutely. But your faith has allowed the Holy Spirit to convict you. It's a very supernatural thing. I think because we don't feel it, we just we brush the Holy Spirit aside and say, yeah, 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 he does all of that. And he's like the absentee part of the Trinity. But as far as I see, he's doing more work in us than than anybody than the others I don't know they're all one I hate to split them up like that but uh, so he interprets the scriptures illuminates the scriptures and assures us of the truth of the scriptures the reality the reality of our spiritual gifts the actualizing of our spiritual gifts the ability to to serve the actualizing of our good works bearing witness to us, as it says in Romans 8, that we're children of God. It says the Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. It's not our works that confirm that we're children of God. If it were your works that confirmed it, getting back to what I was talking about before, and you'd have to wait till you're dead to figure out if you're saved or not. But the Spirit convicts you that you are children of God, so He convicts us or bear witness to us of our adoption and election. He helps our human weakness. He supernaturally engenders our faith, our prayers, Romans 8, 28, no, it's 26, where he helps our weakness because we don't know how to pray, creating in us love and joy and hope, all that fruit, which is really, as we just said, the facets of Christ's character. He purifies our hearts and he leads us to make good decisions. And I know there's a few more in there, too, that we could throw in. And the Spirit is doing all of this for what? For me. Not necessarily. It is for you, right? All things are for you. But you have to remember that if I just stop at the fact that I'm going to be strong, I'm going to be wise, I'm going to be at peace, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is all directed towards an end. And by remembering that end, you will, you are less likely, far less likely, to go astray into a self-absorbed Christianity. Because self has got to go. So without seeing this main theme of the Holy Spirit showing us the Lord Jesus Christ, no part of his ministry can be properly understood. They become isolated and they become actually distracting and dangerous. So these are the parts. We're going to look at a few parts. Well, by this look at time, we might just look at one part. Uh, so, as I said, and I'll confirm this or repeat this, <clears throat> too often the Spirit's ministry is seen as being related to what we lack and need as frail believers. And although He is helping us, this is not the end of His purpose. His purpose is to reveal and glorify Christ, not us. He's not to reveal us to us, although we will. it's the only way to find out about yourself is to see yourself in Christ. It's the only way to really know yourself. And you'll find out it's 
not a depressing understanding. Finding out about yourself apart from Christ is depressing. But with him, when you find yourself in him, everything that he is has been gifted to you. So actually, finding out yourself in him is to truly find yourself as God desires you. And that is a wonderful discovery. And it does, it's, the, it's the only self-discovery that doesn't make a person arrogant. Actually, quite the opposite. So, the Spirit's ministry is Christ-centered, not Christian-centered. So, what is the voice of the Spirit? The Word of God. In 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says, For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. What them? What eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and has not entered into the mind of man all the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Right? That's in verse 8. In verse nine, or the beginning of verse 9. At the end of verse 9, it says, For God, for to us, God has revealed them all the things that God has prepared for those who love Him through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So, uh, for instance, the Quakers believed that in prayer you could receive revelation from God that wasn't found in the Bible. And, you know, if that's true, fine. God can do whatever he wants. It's not up, up to us to say, God, you can do that and you can't do that. I, I think there's way too much of that going on in Christianity. But anyway, uh, but... The only way that we can know what God is going to do is through the Scripture. There is, the Scripture tells us there is nothing else. You don't add to this, it says. You don't take away from it. Uh, the revelation of God is in His Word. Paul says, all Scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy 3.16 So, uh, <clears throat> it's only the Scriptures that He is Revealing. So some have floated. Others confidently profess that the Spirit can give revelation of things that are outside the Word of God. He cannot. So, uh, and I've seen, I actually heard a, a person at um, Corbin University in one of our classes ask this question to the professor. You know, can we get revelation that's outside the Scripture? What about when, you know, God talks to us? And <clears throat> I fully believe that God will speak to you. I mean, I, I think it's very clear that God will speak to us. I mean, there's no point in prayer if we're not going to hear back in some way. But if what you hear back isn't in the Scripture, that could be a demon talking to you. It could be your own conscience talking to you. Um, there's no way that we can qualify it. So, it should be repeated that no one knows all the Scripture perfectly and completely. Nobody. And this is what, well, you know, for the sake of time, this, we'll just do this one. Because nobody knows all the truth and nobody's perfect. Now here's the thing. The Spirit's ministry is to lead us into all truth. That's what he said. Jesus said to them, he's going to lead you into all truth. So shouldn't we be able to know all the truth? All right. Let that hang out there. The Spirit is also has a ministry in giving us purity. Right? Leading us in righteousness. Making us pure in heart. So, I mean, this is God. Therefore, we should all be perfectly pure. And experience tells us, and actually the Scripture tells us, that there's no one sinless. The scripture tells us that uh, you never know everything. Beware you stand lest you fall. You think you stand lest you fall. That even though the Spirit is empowering us in these two areas, nobody's perfect at them. Nobody. And you think to yourself, well, why wouldn't God do that? Why wouldn't God give us the ability to know everything? You know what? Maybe make the book about a quarter the size. 
Right? Kind of just cram information in there. I mean, if it's omniscience that God has, even this is a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of a percent of his mind. So you might as well just go like, you know, a few pages. It's not going to make much of a difference. And you know, I don't know exactly the answer to this, but I have a feeling. I shouldn't say that from the pulpit. That if if God gave anybody the ability to know it all, first off, how would they know they know it all? I mean, you have to take a test, I would think, and God would have to administer it. I mean, how would they know they know it all? And if they suspected they did, as some do, then what do they become? And everybody that we've ever read of or heard of or seen who thinks they know it all, I mean, we have the phrase Mr. Know-it-all. What are they? Arrogant, proud, braggarts, bloated jerks <laughs> with no compassion. Right? So as Paul said, if you have all knowledge, but you don't have love, you're nothing. So I think God on purpose has given us more knowledge than we can handle, than anybody can. And he's given us more ethical behavior to live in. Because you, you never read that God says, you know, if you just give me a little bit of effort, that's great. If you're just good sometimes, that would be sweet. You never see that. He could have written that. He could have said, look, I know you're all sinners. Don't worry about it. You sin. Don't worry about it. He tells us we're forgiven. And he also tells us to be perfect. <laughs> Nobody knows all the Scripture perfectly or completely. Some of us know more than others. But even those who know a lot of the doctrines that all of us should know, we don't know everything about them. Right? Things we should know. That salvation is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. By His death, burial, and resurrection. Right? Those are the doctrine of salvation. But if you start exploring that salvation, you know, First off, what's a God-man? Uh, there's aspects of that nobody knows. Uh, how does the God-man die for the sins of the world in a few hours on the cross when things go dark? We don't know that either. How can the, Trini how can the Father forsake the Son when the Trinity is unified forever? All of a sudden, we start running into questions that we can't answer. So what, are, what of us are sane Christians do? You leave them aside. Maybe I'll know I'm in heaven, but whatever's revealed that I can know, I put my faith in. But so before I get all twisted up and like, wait, wait a minute, do I? How much knowledge do I know? I want to know all knowledge, and then I get twisted. This all of a sudden, what happens? It becomes about me and my knowledge and knowing it all, or knowing most. Right, so I remember someone years back saying, I'm the most spiritual person here. I said that right to my face. I'm more spiritual than you. Okay. By where's the me what do we measure with a thermometer? How do we measure that? I hope it's a certain kind of thermometer that, you know, in their case. Anyway, sorry. Uh you know it becomes about us. And what have we forgotten? The main purpose of the ministry of God the Holy Spirit is to show us Jesus Christ. My knowledge is so that I can see the Lord. Not so I can know it all. My morality and my ethical purity is so that I can see the Lord. But I'm not going to be sinless. And in fact, I don't even know how much I've sinned in a single day. I couldn't even possibly tell you. 
Because don't forget, there's the sins of omission, things I should have done that I didn't do, and then there's things that I do, and things that I do with wrong motivation. I can't, I can't possibly keep track of all that. But some have taken both of these things to say, well, if I can't know it all, I don't want to know. You know, I'm not going to bother. Dumb. That makes you dumb. Because <laughs> you need knowledge to know the Lord. Just because of the fact that I can't know everything, even everything in this book. To, be, to use it as an excuse to be academically lazy or a lazy Bible studier means that I'll never, I'm not going to know him in this lifetime. Mm-mm. The others say, you know, well, if we're sinners and we're destined to sin, and I don't even know how much I sin, why bother fighting the flesh? Just, I'll just be a lazy moral Christian. Lazy, lazy morally. I won't fight against my temptations and my urges. I won't fight against them. You're not going to see them. You're going to see the ramifications of sin, which are awful. And so, it's wonderful to know that nobody knows it all. But again, we must be careful This doesn't mean that we should know nothing. I mean, heck, if that's true, we shouldn't be here four hours a week because that's all we do here is learn the Scripture. So we find out that some doctrines, when we say doctrines, doctrines are truths of the Bible that are categorized. You know, you have like the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He has his own doctrine because he's unique. Hypostatic union. You have the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity as a whole, the doctrine. You have the doctrine of the Bible. It's called bibliology. And on and on. You know, they're all categorized. And some of these doctrines are more revealed than others. Some parts of doctrines are abundantly clear and foundational of which all believers must know them well and put their faith in them. There is no excuse not to know what justification is. It's clearly spelled out in the Scripture. You don't have to memorize it, but you need to know that you're justified and what justification is. Justification is the fact that the judge of all the universe has said that you are not guilty. You're justified. You're not guilty, even though you're a sinner. The doctrine of righteousness. Righteousness has been imputed to you. What is righteousness? We need to know these things. But there are other doctrines that are more obscure, others that are absolutely filled with mystery. A lot of the end times doctrines, the book of Revelation, there's quite a bit of mystery in there. What are those creatures that come out from under the Euphrates that like have heads of lions and look like bugs with lion heads and people say, I know what those are. Okay. I don't care who they are personally. Not at this point. There is no belief. So, who even of the foundational doctrines that we all know, we all know and can agree in them, nobody knows them perfectly. I mean, thoroughly, perfectly. There's nothing left for me to know about salvation. Oh, that's a fat lie. Because if that were true, we would never have to learn any more about things like the Trinity, hypostatic union, the fall of man, Israel, the nation of Israel, prophecy. How about the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic law, the purpose of it and what it is? First advent, the church, election, rapture, tribulation. On and on they go. Nobody knows all of them to their absolute depth. So, that's what I get to at least here is. A part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Scripture. Does it mean that we have to know it all? Do we have to know all the Scripture to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is personal and wonderful? I hope not. Because then none of us are ever going to have that relationship in this lifetime. We need to know enough. 
So, if we find ourselves saying, well, then I, there's no point in studying, then you're going to have no relationship with him. And if you say there's no point in knowing more, then you don't appreciate your relationship with him. I mean, if you love, the, if you start to love him and love this relationship with him, then you will want to know as much about him as you possibly can, which means you want to know as much about the scripture as you possibly can. And here's the great, another great thing. It's not the, it's another. All our understanding of the scripture has come by means of the Holy Spirit. It's not that we, we do anything or feel anything, but look, here's the evidence. Do you understand what the Scripture is saying? If you can say yes to a certain depth of understanding, that is the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. And therefore, you don't get proud and get occupied with yourself. You give glory and thanks to Him, and hopefully you don't forget that this wisdom and understanding of this book is not an end in of itself. It's all pointed towards me seeing and beholding the things of Christ, which are the things of the Father. It's all centered on them. Father and the Son. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for revelation of your Word. Thank you that, though we can't know it all, that you have revealed enough uh, and in each of us have enough understanding to be able to call you Father confidently, to call you our Father, to know that we can only call you Father by the work of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. These things we can know and easily know. And by our putting our faith in them, the Holy Spirit reveals their reality. The third person of the Trinity, God Almighty, we thank you for you, for the Trinity the revelation, and the fact that seeing you is what life really is. And it loses our, it helps us lose, or actually does help us lose our occupation with ourselves, which is such a miserable thing. There's so much here. But we thank you, Father, for all that you have done. In Christ's name, amen.